We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. Okay, ready? I want to know something she needs I think about every one you need I hope that things are really real now I have you seen you wanting you Hey It's her ratio Okay though It's her ratio Okay though That might be the best question I've ever been asked <laughs> You're a phenomenal person. I mean, you're legendary. I am a fan of you, my brother. The day after you finish Every Man is a King, you're you're on something new the next day. Yes, yeah, I am. I, I, I tell you, it's 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 so it's so interesting. I, people used to I would say to people, you, you need to write every day, and they said, well, well not on vacations, right? And I said, writing is a vacation. Man. I mean, writing is great. I mean, what? I think you're taking a vacation from something great. You know, it's like saying you're not you're not going to eat on vacation. Walter Mosley is one of the great writers of our time. A lot of people know him for Devil in a Blue Dress, but he has done a ton of novels. He's got a new one, Every Man a King. And I wanted to talk to him about writing, how you do it, how he does it, what his process is all about. Because this man just writes. He spends three hours a day writing, and that's it. He writes every day, and that is critical to his process. If you write every day, you will be a better writer than if you don't. Let's dig into it. It's Walter Mosley on Torre Show. Tell me what you love about writing. Uh, I, you know, that's a really hard thing to say. It's like saying what, what one loves about reading. It, it's, I just, you know, I'm making up stories. I'm, I'm, I feel that I'm gathered together when I'm writing. That my mind, uh, my, my sense of play, my creativity, uh, my political, uh, feelings, whatever they might be, uh, all come together. And I say, wow, I'm, I'm doing something here. That you, you, you feel the, the, I mean, you, it seems like you talk about you trying to lose yourself. Is that part of what you're, you're talking about? Well, you know, I don't, I mean, I, I understand when, you know, when you say something like that, but I, it does, it's not exactly like losing. It's I'm like, all of a sudden I'm there. You know, I'm, I maybe maybe in a better characters. Say what? 
in there with the characters. Well, I'm in there, you know, with, with the story and the characters are certainly part of the story. So, yeah. So rather than losing myself, it's like finding myself. Mm. You know, it's, it, it feels like the opposite of that. I, I'm, I'm not trying to be too persnickety about this. I'm, it's just that writing for me is, is, uh, is kind of like a, a kind of meditation. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's very wonderful. I, I, I love it. I think that I think that everybody should write a novel, you know, not every one of those novels is going to get published, but I, I think that it would be, it, it's a, it's a way to organize your mind around your mind rather than organizing your mind around some kind of external uh, thing. I mean, there's two things kind of going on when you're in the moment. You are seeing the story and it's playing out and you have to kind of keep up with that. And also you have to find the words that accurately convey what you're trying to convey, right? Which is almost like a different part of the brain, almost. Yeah, almost. You know, I, I'm a, I, I, I'm, I've, I've written a, a novella of a new uh, mystery character called Archibald Lawless, Anarchist at Large. So he's an anarchist detective, okay? And he, and he needs to hire a scribe, he says, you know, because, you know, as an anarchist, he's very active. It's, it's you, you live that kind of life. You, you can't, don't just talk about it. You know, you live it. And so he, he hires a scribe to write down all of his thoughts and ideas. And, and the scribe says, look, man, I don't even know what you're doing. He says, well, uh, I'm, I'm an anarchist, an uh, anarchist detective. And, and he says, well, what's, what does that mean? What do you do? He goes, well, I walk the line. And the kid says, well, what line is that? He says, the line between chaos and the man. Mm. And it's a, it's a notion. And, and I, I remember when I wrote that, I went, okay, I'm going to write about this character. Because I really, okay. I love that idea. Yeah. And I think that I, I find that writing is, it's, it's a balance of many, many, many things. Uh, what I ate for breakfast this morning uh, my, my, my deep, uh, and abiding, uh, uh, relationship with my parents, uh, the, the, the politics that are happening in the world that are unfolding in the world that most people don't know anything about all of everything that, you know, that I, that I can imagine is in the writing. When you talk about finding the line that leads you to the anarchist, and I feel like those sort of moments when you see something and it's almost like I see like a hundred doors are open. Like, like if, if my mind had presented me with the phrase anarchist for hire, I'd be like, mm-hmm. oh, there's a thousand different places we could go. This is fertile. Like I, I love this. Right. And so you, yeah. you, you're collecting those like toward the beginning. And then as you get toward the end, you're like closing the door. I need to like wrap this. I need to, you know, conclude this. Right. Mm-hmm. There's different mm-hmm. sort of things you're looking for at, at different moments. Yeah, I know. I, I, it's absolutely true. The beginning, it, it has its own kind of excitement and satisfaction the, and, and challenges. And the, the ending, the same thing, but they're very different. Um, now you're going to say, OK, now I have all the ideas. You know, we, we have uh, his cast of, of, of friends and, 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 his, and, his, and the way that he imagines his job, you know, um, I have a, a, a story about him that that's not in the, the novel where he uh, 
he goes, uh, the CIA comes to him and says, a guy has broken into, you know, uh, one of our, our uh, secret offices down on Wall Street. And he goes, yeah. And he says, and he has a bomb. And I said, well, and he says, well, what's his name? And he, they tell him his name and he knows what country he's from. He says, well, you know, the t- terrible things that the CIA did in his country. Uh, he's going to blow himself. He's going to kill himself and kill everybody else who's part of that. Said, That's the right thing to do. And I said, I'm not going to get involved at all. And, and they and they tell him, said, yeah, but there's an innocent, innocent janitor in there and he's going to get killed, too. And Leon is, oh, wow, you know, because he's because he's a, a complete detect, a complete anarchist detective. And, you know, this is I don't know. It, it's I mean, it's not just that any book I write is like that. When I wrote my book, John Woman or or, or when I wrote about Ptolemy Gray, it's it's all you 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 come up with an idea and a character and a life. You, you, you throw your character and other characters into that into that soup and then you just start to work with it. You know, it, I mean, cause that's why I'm, when I say it like this, it's like when I, now I'm talking about it as if you were a cook. And of course, you're a cook. You know how you want it to taste. You know how, how spicy, how mild, how, you know, what kind of uh, uh, curative uh, values it'll have. If you're a painter, you know the colors and, and how you want them to, to, to work with each other. And it, it's the joy. I, I, I used to know uh, the, the painter Roy Lichtenstein. Wow. And Roy used to say, Roy used to say, he said, look, if, if a painter knows what the painting is going to be before they come to the canvas, yeah. it's going to be a failure. Really? Because you ha- you're always covering things. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this, you know, and, and I, and I don't, I don't know if all painters think that. I'm sure they don't. I don't, I know all, I know writers who don't like writing at all. <laughs> so they don't feel like me, you know, but, but I'm just saying, you know, where I'm coming from and, and, and what resonates with me. The notion of not, of, of you discovering it at the typewriter or at the computer is really interesting because a lot of other people have talked about either writing out a sort of outline or having a vision mm-hmm. of where we're going in the, in their head, but you seem much more you want to give yourself the freedom to go to figure it out as you're moving through it. But that's not to say I don't do outlines sometimes, you know, that, that I'm, I might, yeah, I mean, you're right. You know, basically that, that's, that's the, the correct, you know, uh, I think uh, understanding of what I do, but sometimes I'll write, you know, like, you know, and my outline is one, this happens two that happens three, that happens four that happens, you know, and I, I just write it out. And, yeah. and then I, I start writing and sometimes I, I follow what I put in the outline and sometimes I go way off in, in another direction. I say, oh, there's things near here. or that's really not necessarily going to take it out. So there's still a, a lot of discovery in the writing. How do you maintain the consistency of, of the story, of the theme, of the characters when you are discovering it as you go along? Well, I, I, you know, there's a few things about it. Number one. There's no such thing as a perfect novel. You know, I, I, I suppose you can have um, at one time you had pieces of music that were perfect, you know, because the composer writes down every note and the stresses and the length, you know, and, 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 and the strength and the weakness, all of that. You know, everything is written, you know, um, and that's OK. But even now, I, th- I think if you if you have a, a person who plays that music uh, or, or, or 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 directs it, uh, there's changes are going to happen along the way. Now, I don't, I don't know if it's on the night of the performance or not, but, but then when you go into jazz, 
uh, you know, I mean, a jazz musician will play the same thing a hundred nights in a row and it won't be the same at all. Sometimes it'll, you know, be outer. You'll see Hendrix saying, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do the, what, what is that thing he did at Woodstock? The, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the American anthem. He said, I'm going to do the anthem. And, and, you know, a whole, it's, you know, it, it, there's explosions and fighting and you hear it, you know, right there while we're in the middle of the war in Vietnam and he's playing this thing. We hear it. We hear it for what it is, you know, um, so, you know, I, for musicians, I think it's much harder because it's right then. It's right in front of the places. Comedians, you know, I, you know, there are all these uh, uh, concerts of, of Richard Pryor, for instance. Sometimes he will have done that concert five nights in a row and the first four nights it bombed. Right. You know, and that fifth night he got it right. You yeah. know, and, you know, that's. That's what they put out in the world. And, you know, it's 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 so it's so great. But as, as a writer, it's much easier. You just write it and then you read, you know, read it and you do a draft and you read it and you do a draft and you read it and you do a draft. And finally, you know, you come to a place where there's still things wrong with it, but you don't know how to fix it. And so it's finished. You send it off to the publisher. <laughs> there's things that's wrong with it. You don't know how to finish. You don't know how to fix it. So just send it along. Just this is the best that I got. <laughs> No, if, if you know you can't fix it, if you're looking at you going, wait a second, she's sitting in the chair and she looks up at him. What's happening there? What, what, what you know, and you, you don't really know. Now, it, other people might know. And when the after you, it's been away for a while at the editor and it comes back again, you may know a couple of more things. But there's always something wrong. There's always something wrong. If, if you aren't challenging yourself enough to make mistakes, then, you know. The way your plots are, I envision you getting to a certain point somewhere in the middle and thinking, you know, can we do X, Y, then Z? Mm, maybe not. Can we do this, this, then this? Yeah, but we could do it better than that. So are, are you kind of mm-hmm. trying to think through like and envisioning like if we go down this road, this happens good, but not as good as this potential road or that are you thinking through like the different potential world roads you could go down? Well, to give it to answer that question, I, I wrote a book, possibly the best easy wrongs book. It was called black Betty. And it's about a woman with these, uh, whose, whose life is just so hard. Everything goes wrong. She loses her children. She, she loses everything. And what I thought when I was writing it about halfway through and I'm looking at the character, I'm saying, well, she's going to die. And that's going to be it. But when I got to the very end, I realized that it was the opposite, that her death would be a release. And for her to continue living, to continue surviving, like all those black mothers, all of that history, that is the the hardest, most tragic thing, Mm -hmm. you know? Life as tragedy. And and so I just, oh, OK, so she's going to live. I had, you know, I kind of had a way that she was going to die and it was kind of interesting. It might have been well written, but but her still being there at the end. Well, that's 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 that was the worst thing, you know. So it could be a little that's a it's a big thing as far as her life is concerned. But it's a little thing as far as the structure of the novel is concerned. But but whatever you, you I'm discovering. Do your, characters, I'm writing. do your characters tell you what they want to do? Do they seem to take on a life of their own and start dictating the action to you? Or are you, or are you like, 
the God of this world and you tell them what's next? Um, well, no, they don't tell me what to do. However, I don't, I don't feel like a God. I, I feel like I'm, 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 I'm working on this, the story and the story, you know, kind of exists a priori, you know, it's, it's just, it's there in the world. And I'm, I'm th- making it there in the world, you know, it, and I, I don't, I, I understand your question. The question you know, is, is, you know, looking at it simply and I'm looking at it like, wow, well, no, I, I really, I, I, you know, I love mouse, you know, and you know, if I, if I put mouse in a situation, I know he's going to do something crazy, you know, and, and, you know, and it's me making the, the, those decisions, but I couldn't do it without knowing that character. You know, so I, so I can't I, I I can't go either way on that. I, I just say, well, it, I, I write at it and it works itself out. And, 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 and I'm the kind of medium for that. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door. Thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. With the new one, Every Man a King, are there some stories in the world or in your life or some some characters, some things that you can point to as, here are some of the influences, here are some of the things that 
might have been on the mood board, even if you didn't know it at the beginning. Now, looking back, like, yeah, when so-and-so told me this, when, you know, such and such happened in the news, that sort of propelled me. Well, I mean, there's a lot of things that, you know, before I'm, I begin that propelled me. It's, you know, it, it, it's his, uh, this uh, two nonagenarians, uh, uh, his grandmother, uh, you know, uh, uh, Joe King Oliver's grandmother, who's 93 years old. She's an ex-sharecropper. And this guy, Roger Ferris, who's 91 years old and is one of the richest men in the world. Mm-hmm. And they're both... And and they're they're in a relationship, which she likes to call three quarters of a relationship. You're not going to be having sex with a white man, but he's her boyfriend anyway. And <laughs> which you know, you know, you kind of, you kind of, you know, it, it, it's just a, it's a it's a fun moment for them. So so I knew I was going to be writing about them, and I knew there was going to be a, a character named Quiller, who is a alt right genius. Who's you know he's an artist and 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 and, uh, and, a, and a scientist and a philosopher, but he's alt right. He says only white men can have the full vote, and uh, uh, all other people of color and white women have to take a test to pr- prove that they can have a full hundred percent vote. Otherwise, they get sixty percent. You know mm-hmm. that that that's his note of of the of the world, and you know it's it's that it, that's not even new, um, and. But I, I realized when, after I finished the book and I, I read it after it was even published, I, I realized that that my idea was I was I'm trying to replace hatred with love. Mm-hmm. That there's so much hatred in this world today, like this character Quiller. You know, he, he was an orphan. He was abandoned. Uh, he had a mother, but she she would you know she gave him up for for adoption. Um, he was his whole life was a life of, of misery the, his the important part the childhood part and so his life was hatred and so his thoughts were hatred what he was creating was you know i want to take things away from people i want to prove that they're not worth it i want to i want to have my revenge you know and then he meets a woman who was the opposite of everything he believes and he's in love with her and because of that, even though it's a it's going to be a very dangerous thing for him, he f- he makes a decision slowly and in little pieces and parts to be something different, to think something different, to take actions in the world that are different. And, and this for me is is what what life in America is about. And it, and I, I was thinking that the whole time I was writing this book. And so, that, I mean, that's, that's, that's the answer. Yes, I discover things even after I've written them. And, and it makes me understand what I was trying to do, why it felt right to make the decisions that I did. When you, when you started that, that paragraph, I was like, yeah. So why, like, why would you put an alt right person in the book? Like, I, if I was writing it, I'm like, I don't want to spend that much time around an alt right person. Like, having I mean, to think about him, mm-hmm. check in with him. Like, how you doing today? Like, can we introduce your girlfriend or you know, take mm-hmm. her to meet him or whatever the fuck? Like, I don't want to be around you. I hate you. <laughs> like, yeah. But you, 
in giving him the opportunity to develop, then you have something really um, uh, surprising, meaty. There's a lot that you can work with if you take somebody that bad and they are developed spiritually and personally through the story. That, 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 that's, that's, there's a lot to, to talk about there. Or you could say, in Aristotelian terms, it's a true dialectic. You know, this is that, you know, and the detective saying, you know, saying to the, the billionaire that he's going to take the case because of something that the billionaire did in the last book, which was a good thing. Uh, and, you know, he, and it, it opens it to all these things. You know, when he talks to his friend, Melkarth Frost, the, the you know, the insane killer, uh, there's an argument when he talks to his daughter who says, but Quiller is a killer, dad. And he, and he said, and he says, well, yeah, that's true. He said, but you know, I'm not working for him. I'm working for this guy. He asked me to do it and I work for a living. You know, it, you, you discover there, there's a dance that all of us do in America. You know, if you, if you want to make things work, you, you have to, you have to, to, to get involved into some level of give and take, you know, I'm looking at, I look at America today and I, I see, um, you know, all of these, you know, people, who think they're different, but they have exactly the same problems and they're blaming each other for their problems. Mm. White people did this to me. Those white people have been doing this to me my whole life, you know, and, you know, and to some degree, uh, it, it, it might be true when, you know, here and there, but in the end, you know, the, 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 the real, uh, the true artificial intelligence of the world is capitalism. Capitalism makes all the choices for all the people from the richest to the, to the poorest one. You know, if you don't follow the, the, the program, you get thrown out. Sure. And there's not really a way to rebel against capitalism. Like, what would that mean that you become a monk or a homeless person? Like we can rebel against democracy. There's just capitalism. We, how do we would, to go socialist? Like that, that's not even really a practicing thing. No, no. And, and of course not. I mean, socialism is a, is, is a great philosophy and theory and, and, needs, and needs to stay in the world as a theory. Yeah. But if all the white people and the black people and the Latinos and the Asians and the natives of all of them together said, hey, uh, we're in the same situation. So we're going to you know, vote in the same way. And the vote will you know, be uh, 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 women can have abortions. People should get a living wage, uh, you know, like if everybody thought, taught it. But right where, right now, what it is, is I'm arguing with him and he's arguing with her and they're doing saying this. And, you know, and somebody saying, well, there are white people and somebody saying, well, there are black people. And, you know, as if it meant something, mm. you know, and it, it doesn't really. I mean, you know, saying somebody's a white person means absolutely nothing. I mean, they're not that color. They're, they don't speak the same language. They don't aren't the same religion. They're not from the same countries. Hold on, it does it does say something. I was on C-SPAN the other day, and this woman called, and she said, um, you know, and I was talking my shit about white supremacy, and that really triggers them mm -hmm. for some reason. And um, yeah. you know, the woman called up, and she said, "My father was poor. He gave me nothing." And, you know, I would love to tell the story of saying, like, I had the perfect response right away, but I didn't think about it till later, esprit de scalier, mm -hmm. where I was like, bro, you're not born with nothing. You're born with white skin in a country that gives you white skin privilege. So it's not that that's thing. They have something. And, you know, 
That has been true for a very long time. And the, the thing about it, it becomes less and less true as things go along. Rather than people making decisions, well, okay, we'll give it to the white person first. We have a computer that, that says, well, you know, what is their worth? What is their value? There's still, you know, some privilege among white people, especially if they're wealthier, they're, they're a higher class. Um, but right now, uh, I, I, I could say, even though I can, you know, you, I, I think I could, you could always point out some differences. I would say, look, you're in the same position I'm in, you know, and, uh, if we work together, you're going to get what you want. If you work against me, both of us will be powerless. Now, I think that's true. You know, I, I honestly, I just think that's true. And so, uh, and, and, you know, if it was 1950 or 1940 and, and keep on going on back or 1960, 1970 going on back, of course, your, that, your argument would be absolutely primarily true because, I mean, I had to go sit in the back of the bus, you know, but it took Martin Luther King, you know, to say, look, I'm paying for my seat on the back of the bus. So I, I, I tell you what, I'm not going to pay for that no more. I ain't going to pay sit in the back of the bus no more. Right. And the people, the people who own the bus company said, listen, we got to make this deal with these, with these black people here because uh, this ain't working. we need our money. <laughs> our whole our whole system is defined on them existing. You know, and 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 I think that I, I'm sitting in the back of the bus with all these other people, different colors. And I'm going, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, everybody talks about who gave them what, you know, and stuff like that. But, you know, there's a lot of black people today whose parents gave them nothing and they made it. And there's a lot of black people today whose parents gave them everything and they made it, you know. Uh, but but the thing is, the system uh, is tilted against 80 percent of the people, 80 percent of us. It's completely tilted against. And another 12, it's hard. And then once you get eight, uh, six, five percent, it gets a little easier. Yeah. What um, talk to me about how you are different or better as a writer now versus 10 or 20 years ago. I'm sure you've learned things that have changed you, your process, your output, something. How are you how are you better or different than you were years ago? Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, to you know, th again, I, I know it, it's not just the day. It, 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 the questions you're asking are very difficult questions. Good, uh, and, I, and it seems like they shouldn't be, but but they are. Like so, like if you were talking about uh, uh, some uh, person who's you know, make them younger than me, like you know, fifty five or something, and you said, well, you know. So you've been, you, you know, you've been, you're 55, you've been having, you know, sex in, in your whole life and, 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 and you're, you're, you know, you, you, you're calling yourself a lover, let's say. And so you, so you must be a lot better now than you were when you were 20. Of course and, it is. 20 well, years, 20 years don't know what it's, <laughs> what, yeah, but they don't, may, they might not know what they're doing, but, but, but. But they, they, they also know what they have. You know, things change over time. I'm a much better writer in many ways. But if I took the best book I've ever written, which I don't even know what, which, what it would call, so I, I'm, I can't even say, and, but I put it up against Devil in the Blue Dress. Devil in the Blue Dress is the simplest uh, uh, thing that I've ever done. And, and, and I've, my talent has grown and, you know, by leaps and bounds since then. But it's still a very good book. And for me to say that the, these other books, you know, just, you know, kind of eclipse it. They don't. 
But you, you know, you, you are conceding within this that you are a better or different writer than you were before. And I'm not asking you to, to murder your babies, but just talk about no, no, no. how your talent has has grown over the last decade or two. Okay, and, and, and I will say that, but 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 I'll, I'll but before before doing that, I'm just going to say that the 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 sto- the 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 my ability as a writer is defined by the stories I tell. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and those stories have a life beyond the talent. As a writer, uh, I've learned how how to work with language in ways that are you know I don't even know how, but they're they're, you know, they've gotten better and better and they're really descriptive, but at the same time motive, but at the, at the same time, uh, uh, supportive, you know, there's all these things going on in a sentence or a couple of sentences. And, uh, and so, you know, I've gotten better. And I think anybody who like teaches writing or, or studies writing in the university would be able to tell that. So, well, look, look at, look what he's able to do in this one that he wasn't able to do. It was kind of inelegant in this earlier work. I, you know, I, I think that that's true. I mean, but I also think that there's a, a lot to be said uh, when a 20 year old falls in love with somebody mm-hmm. and they express that love physically mm-hmm. and they may not know what they're doing, but mm-hmm. the feeling of passion is going to be there. Whereas the 55 year old, it might be a little different than that. They, they know all, you know, they know all the things, but they don't. No, I know. I mean, you, you, has, has you, know, you know what I'm getting at. I'm trying to help the younger writers get a little bit better because you're an older master writer. And I think about how, for example, just a, just a shared example, how, you know, Jordan, when he was younger, could go to the hope and dunk it or lay it up all the time. When he gets later, the second three P, you know, he's like, I don't want to go to the hole a damn time, but I know how to make this fade away. And school all you kids without tiring my legs out by dunking twenty times a game, and I'm trying yeah, well, to see yeah, that's that's true. That's true. that's Louis Armstrong. Yeah, you know, so and, and I, I listen. I have so I have so much love for these young writers, and I I I, I can see how well that they're doing. Uh, okay. I can I can see that they're making mistakes, which is why I'm saying that. When you turn in the book, when you can no longer fix your mistakes, you know, you, you get to that place and you can do all that. I, 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 you know, I would say to you that I have a love for younger writers. I think it's, it's, it's great when they're, when they really, they really are trying to uh, put their heart into the story. And I, and I'm not, and I don't want, I don't want to tell them, well, you know, I might be better than you because, you know, because I've had all this time to do all this stuff listen we're we're equals and yeah. and and that's one of the things that i that i really love about uh about uh well young writers young painters uh you know young carpenters young uh accountants you know <laughs> they're doing their job in there and and they kind of love it you know so but i mean i agree with you that young uh, that you know I, I that young people uh need to know that there's a future and of course there is a future and where is the future the future is in writing every day you know, if you write every day, like for instance, one, one of my good friends, uh, she's been a great writer since her mid twenties. That's Edwige Dantica. Oh, I love she her. Can, she can write. Yeah, she can write. I mean, yeah. and you know, from Crick Crack 
all the way up, you know, uh, uh, Breath Eyes Memory, all yeah. the way up, you know, to, to, to the later books. She's just extraordinary. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I like to think of everybody as being extraordinary, though I know that's not completely true. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrivemarket.com slash Torrey on March 16th 2000 two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta Jamil Alamin a Muslim leader and former black power activist was convicted but the evidence was shaky and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial my name is Mosi Secret and when I started investigating this case in my hometown I uncovered a dark truth about America from Tinderfoot TV Campside Media and iHeart Podcasts Radical is available now Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, wait, let's talk about what writing every day does for you as a writer. You are three hours, is that right? Yeah. Seven mm-hmm. days a week? Yeah. What, what do, I mean, I write a lot. I, I don't know that I'm at it. Seven days, uh, 365 days a year. I mean, maybe you, you know, you have to give up Christmas and Thanksgiving for various things. Who knows? But like, you know, 365. Every time you, lo- you lose a day. Next 360 days a year. Yeah. I lose five. But I mean, like how, what, what, what does that do for the practice that there's, there's, it's always, it's always something. Even if you were to finish, you know, the day after you finish Every Man is a King, you're, you're on mm-hmm. something new the next day. Yes. Yeah, I am. I, I tell you, it's, it's, it's so, it's so interesting. You know, um, I, people used to, I would say to people, you, you need to write every day. And they said, well, well not on vacations. Right. And I, and I said, writing is a vacation, man. I mean, writing is great. I mean, why, why do you think you're taking a vacation from something great? You know, it's like saying, you're not, you're not going to eat on vacation. You're not, you know, it's like, and all right. There's there's a there's a kind of a defunct practice of psychology, uh, but it's a foundation of psychology, psychoanalysis. The psychoanalysis it works like this: you lie down on your back every day. Hopefully, many people only did it five, but you could do it seven. You lie down on your back and you free associate, dealing with with you know with the the therapist. And every day you get deeper and deeper and deeper, and things start getting worked out unconsciously. Not you, you don't have to think about them. You don't have to say, "Well, face this." Uh, now, of course, psychoanalysis worked with uh, with hysterical symptoms, you know, hysterical blindness, uh, 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 paralysis, um, you know, different different things like that. that we, we don't have those things anymore. So it's not really necessary. 
But I think that writing every day is like a kind of psychoanalysis of, of, of art. And what happens is you go to sleep after the three hours or, you know, after the day is over and all these things are connected, they start coming together. And then, and you realize that the next morning when you sit down to it again and you realize, Oh yeah, that's what he's doing. Sure. Uh huh. And, and it, it's just, you have the same amount of energy that you had the day before. If you miss a day or two, it's going to be hard on you. If you miss three days, it's like starting over again. Three days. It's like, you've completely gone away from it. Um, this is, you know, and so, that that's what that's why I do it. I, I do it every day, and I feel that every day of my life, being a writer, I've gotten deeper and deeper into what it is that I write about. It's not just the on time that you're talking about. The off time mm-hmm. becomes productive because you didn't burn yourself out in the on time. Is that mm-hmm. part of it? It's a lot like physical exercise, you know, like if you you do that weightlifting really tight for 45 minutes, well, you need a, you probably need two days for those muscles to, you know, to be able to do something again, you know, and that's, you know, that's just the way, the way it is. And it was a great about when boxers, the boxers are working, 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 and then they go sleep. (laughs) Like in the middle of the day, they'll sleep some hours and they'll wake up and they might do a couple of more things and they go to sleep again because, you know, you need to rest. And in that rest, your body, your, the strength builds. And yeah, it's physical strength. But I think that uh, your, if you love writing, your, that story that you wanted to write, it's going to become more available to you every time in every twenty-one hour break. You know, I, I, you know, I, I don't. Use, I mean, a lot of people want to talk about when the writer is blocked. I, I have, I have never felt like I am blocked where I have no idea what to do. But sometimes you get to a point where you're like, I'm not sure. What is the best way to proceed with this scene or this character, this moment? I don't feel blocked, but I'm like, there's a lot of options, and I need to think through what we're gonna, what road we're gonna walk down next. Um, maybe that is halted or something. But like, what do you do in those situations when you're like, you know, I've I've put 90 minutes into it or whatever it is, and I'm not really sure where I want to go here. Well, you know. Block, all we have to do is change one letter, to the, the O to an A, and now we got black. Now, you're say, uh, this guy is black. And I said, well, he don't look black to me. He look kind of, you know, like brown or, you know, yellow or, or, oh, yeah, that one, he black. You know, and, you know, there's, there's all these, there's all these, because you know, somebody says writer's block, and it, it's like this gigantic word that covers all these things. Some people have deep psychological issues yeah. some people they 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 did my thing that i said every day they're writing and all of a sudden they remember some you know or half remember some crime that happened to them when they were five you know and and now they can't write a word they can't they just sit there and go i can't do it now that person you know needs a, a, a therapy yeah. maybe they need medication maybe they need this or that somebody else you know they're saying you know i I'm just lost. I don't know what I'm doing in this story. I said, well, okay, write another story, you know, and if they can go do that, then it's fine. You know, it's like, or you're on and start a new one. Sure. Yeah. 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 But you know, there there are people, they can't do it. I mean, they they literally are blocked. Are you writing multiple things at once or is it just, I'm just on this book until it's done? Well, you know, there's a certain logic to it. I'm, I'm writing one book until it's done. Let's say. And then I take that book and I send it to the publisher. Yeah. 
And then that's on Tuesday. So on Wednesday, I start writing a new book and that's fine, you know, and maybe five or six weeks I'm working on that. But all of a sudden, the, the publisher sends me back the first book with the edits. Yep. So I have to stop on this one and go back to that one. And I you know finish that. I send that in. I work on this one. I finish that. I send that in. So then I'm working on a third book. But the books start going back and forth. Sure. But what I do is I've, I'm always I'm, I, I try to I'm only writing on one thing a day. I'm, not, I'm never writing on two things a day. And I try to write as many days as possible on, on, on one thing, you know, and that, that, that way, you know, it keeps me clean. It, it, I think it would be better for me if I could just only write on one thing at a time. But, you know, the business of it gets in the way. <laughs> of course it does. So wait, so on Tuesday you finished X. Wednesday mm-hmm. comes. Do you just start putting pen to paper or fingers to, to computer or do you need some time to think about, okay, where are we going? What's the theme? What's the mood? Who's the character? What's the setting? What do we like? And I, I feel like I need time to fucking meditate and figure out where we're going. Well, okay. But I mean, listen, I, that might happen, but usually what happens to me is I already know something else I want to write. I already know another thing that, that I, I wanted to, to get into. And so I, so I feel more like, Oh boy, I can get through this now, you know? And I start doing that, you know, it's, you know, the next thing before the book is finished. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've thought about it because, you know, in that 21 hours, you know, when I'm, you know, uh, going to the store or meeting with people or, you know, working on some kind of film thing, you know, I think, wow, that would be a really good idea. I'm going to try that. You know, and I just put the idea away. And then when I'm finished, I go, well, remember that was something you're going to try. And I think about it a little bit. Oh yeah, I remember. And I start writing it, you know, I mean, it sounds like a nice life of like writing three hours, you know, experiencing the world, going to dinner with people, reading, hanging out, mm-hmm. sleep, write three more hours. And then I have the rest of the day to like experience. That's a pretty nice life. No, it's 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 a great life. And, and, and the reason that it's a great life, you know, that I mean, the thing, you know, that, you know, the socialism and the communism that doesn't work shows us, it says uh, we become alienated from our labor because we most people alienated from our labor because we're working for somebody else. They make one hundred dollars and we make ten. So part of that alienation is losing the ninety, but it's also losing what you built. You know, I see like I look out of my window here and I see like it's a giant building, you know. Hundreds, maybe thousands of people worked on that building, but they don't own that building when they finish building it. And so if they, they might be homeless, you know, and, 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 and but as an artist, I wrote Devil in a Blue Dress. I don't care who, you know, uh, owns it, thinks they own it, buys it, reads it, uh, likes it, doesn't like it. It's still mine. You know, the work I do is my work. And, and that I think is a non-alienated kind of life. The beauty of what we as artists get to do is we truly care about the products we are creating. If you are sewing together Levi's or putting together an iPad or driving a taxi, you know, you may enjoy your life, but you probably don't really care about the Levi's or the taxi. It's the way you get to take care of your family. But if you are yeah. in a privileged enough position where I like, I genuinely care deeply about the things that I am making because I get to be an artist. Mm-hmm. That's an extraordinary yeah. gift. Yeah, no, I, I think it is. And, you know, there's some people who are writers. It's great. They're writers, but they start writing for other people. So well, we need this article. We need that thing. We need uh, this yeah. description. 
And and that, again, is you're, you're alienated from because you didn't want to write that. You would have never decided to write that. You just did it because, you know, somebody's paying you. And that and that's the thing. Somebody's paying you to write, you know, and, um, you know, people pay me to, you know, to publish, but they don't pay me to write. I mean, and I think that that's 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 really, you know, it's different. I think it's true with painters and sculptors and, you know, um, People who, you know, you have their body as their art, you know, like, you know, you know, Bruce Lee or Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, there's a there's a, this, it's me. It's mine. You know, even after it's gone, it's what I've done, so you know, we, and I think that it's beautiful. So we're both black writers who have a very mm-hmm. tangible connection to Judaism and Jewish folks in our mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. Um, you've always known this. I just found this out three, four years ago, something like that. Um, that it, was not, it was not talked about in my family, and now we know more about it. So I'm beginning a long-term exploration to what does it mean to be Jewish? Because I'm like, I'm part of that group as well. Um, yeah. you, you, you've almost always written about blackness. Do you want to write about mm-hmm. Jewishness more? You know, I, it's so interesting, you know, I mean, because I mean, being Jewish, it's it's a very, it's a it's it's an interesting thing. Most of my my relatives from Eastern Europe were communists. They were Trotskyites. They were not. They were not. You know, they weren't going to shul. You know, that you know, they they just weren't doing that. I mean, they were speaking Yiddish, and maybe you know, thirteenth birthday is important and that kind of stuff. But, um, and I, any anybody who who anybody who's who, the the. Jewish in the way that my family was, they understand my writing as being a part of uh, a, a, a legacy of writing. I mean, I, there's always Jewish people in my writing, but but differently than that, I'm not uh, trying to work out specific issues. Easy's always remembering when he was in concentration camps, when he was in World War II. Um, you know, and when I was a kid, when I was a kid, we used to go to Santa Monica and we visit my uh, my aunt Fanny and my uncle Chaim, and 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 then there would be uh, you know my father and, and, and me and a couple of other people there, and the talks were the same. There were the talks about the shtetls, the ghettos, the the people getting hung, people getting burned. They they were the same stories about how we were a different race in, in a in a in a in a bigger land. And, and, and held down, kept down, kept from being part of the political uh, fabric because of that existence. Yeah. So, I mean, there are ways to look at it differently and there's ways to l- look at it uh, the same. I was, you know, I had an argument with a guy the other day. He's, he's talking to me about Saul Bellow and Philip Roth. And they said, well, you know, these are Jewish writers. And I said, no, man, no, no, no. Stan Lee and Jack Kirby are, are Jewish writers. You know, uh, Bellow and Roth are memoirists as far as I'm concerned. You know, and uh, they're, they're good. I mean, Bella's really good at it. And I don't I don't really care about Roth. But 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 the thing is, is that they were writing about being Jewish. You know, uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby, who are there, everything about them was Jewish. And they were writing about being American. They were Jews writing about being Americans. And I just, you know, I so mean, you're you know, a Jew who's writing about being American, a black person. Yeah, writing about well, American. Yeah. And and also, listen, I mean, racism, the way it worked, when, you know, when I was coming up and even today, people uh, in America have more problems with black people, uh, you know, so-called black people than than they do with, with Jews. And also there are a lot of Jews in America who want to say, well, we're white. And, and, and I'm looking at these people and say, man, you ain't white. You're Jews. I mean, don't you know your history? <laughs> it's like they I mean, they hate you more than they hate me. 
Sometimes. So wait, so are you, because as far as I can tell, you are considered one of the great modern black writers. Is mm-hmm. that, is that like to, to be a black writer, is that incorrect? Should we not think of you that way? No, no. We, that, that's the that's the kind of the, the limited way of looking at it. The, the, the expansive way is Walter Mosley. He's one of the, the 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 great American black writers. And so Walter Mosley, he's one of the great American Jewish writers. I mean, that, that's the way you can look at it. Right. Because I'm both I'm not uh, all of one, therefore none of the other. You know, I'm, I'm just, you know, listen, I, I love my, my family. I, I once I went over to my friend Stephen's house. Uh, and, you know, Stephen's uh, German Jews, they, 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 they left Germany in 39, which is very late. Um, and they and they and, and his father it was 1968, maybe, you know, and I was like 16. And, and Ernest, his father says to me, so, OK, Walter, let's uh, let's debate the war. And I said, well, Ernest, how can I debate the war with you? Um, well, we might agree. Well, I said, we might agree. What side are you on? He says, oh, I don't care. You take one side. I'll take the other. You know, and I thought to myself, I said, Ernest is teaching me how to be Jewish because that's the thing. What you learn from the argument, you know, who you are, what your moral commitment, that has nothing to do with your intellect. Your intellect has to grow no matter what. And that was the mistake the Nazis made. The Nazis didn't want to be involved with, you know, Jewish science, you know, and say they, they, they should have been because the Jews were, you know, the tops in physics <laughs> and, and they, you know, but but that but that's you know this is you know I'm I, you know I, I'm I'm part of a much larger thing you know I can look at a at a, at a, a you know an eighty year old white couple who are in trouble don't have no money uh, and nobody's trying to help them and say listen man you know we're we're in the same position your people and my people we're in the same position so let's work together I don't need I, I don't need to say well you're white I can't help you or I can't identify with you or I can't feel what you're feeling you know I mean that's that's the thing you know. Um, you know, Martin Luther King always talked about it. Uh, uh, Harry Belafonte used to tell me the story. He said that uh, Martin Luther King, you know, he used to stay at Harry's house when he would come to New York. And he's, he, he was just sitting there and says, you know, Harry, I'm beginning to think that we're trying to integrate into a burning house. Mm. And, and Harry, you know, who had all this respect for Martin. It, it, it was reciprocal, but I don't think Harry knew it. But uh, he, 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 he said to him, he said, um, so what should we do then? He says, oh, we're going to have to become firemen. Mm. He didn't say we're going to leave the house. We're going to stop the integration. He said, we got to put out this fire, you know, and, and that's what, you know, I'm, that's what I'm always thinking about. I'm not, I'm not worried. You know, I mean, we're all people, you know, so and interesting. That's an interesting discussion of what it means to be Jewish. Part of what it means to be Jewish. One of the things I ask people who come on this show, what does it mean to be black and where does that show up in mm-hmm. your work? So what does that mean? What does that part of your identity mean to you and your work? Part of uh, racism in America is to to denigrate blackness and and very specifically, not only certainly, maybe not even more, but but in a certain way, black men. Mm -hmm. And I've I've been raised by and around such incredibly beautiful and wonderful black men who've been there for their children, been there for their community, been there for, for they're just there. If, if a black man on, on my block, he didn't, doesn't even know my name, sees me doing something wrong and say, excuse me, son, I know you live in that house right there and you're doing the wrong thing. Now, you don't want me to go talk to your parents about this. 
mm-hmm. you know, because he was doing right by me. Mm-hmm. And so, so being black, you know, me being a writer and being black is to celebrate those extraordinary men and women who pulled me along, you know, and mm-hmm. helped me uh, believe in myself and become who I am, you know. And part of that, part of me being black is that, it's not that, you know, I just am, but I love these people. These people gave me life in a way that's so extraordinary and so strong and missing in so many other parts of, you know, capitalist America, you know, where, you know, people, you know, they're just, they hate their families. And, you, you know, I love my You, you started talking mm-hmm. about this before as well, uh, uh, that, that your work has given us black male heroes who are yeah. intelligent and authentic and courageous. And unlike a lot of other black men we see in literature and in film, and that has been one of your major contributions to American culture. Um, yeah. sort of the, the black male hero that you have unleashed and, and what that has done to the world. You know, it's, it's, it's true. And again, it was something I didn't realize till my third book, I think I said, wow, you know, I'm writing about black male heroes. That's, that's wild, you know? And, and, you know, they're great writers. I mean, Richard Wright, uh, Ralph Ellison, uh, there are a lot of great writers who write about black men, but they're not heroes. They're protagonists, but they're not heroes. You know, they're people that, you know, that, and and it's not even that they have flaws because, you know, Jackson blue has flaws, flaws, mouse has flaws, but they are still, they're lovable. They're, 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 they're building the, the world around us, you know? Right. And I, and I just, I just, I'm thinking why I really want to write about these characters. And it's not that I have anything against uh, black women and that, you know, I have a lot of very powerful, very wonderful black women, but, um, but these, but the black male heroes are some, something that is very rarely written about even by black people, you know, women do it. Black women do in, an incredible job. With these, yeah. these, you know, strong women, you know, uh, you know, supporting all this pressure from from you know political, economic, and and emotional, but but they still survive and they still bring their children through. One of the things that you are associated with is Afrofuturism, which is a really exciting <laughs> notion to me. Maybe it's been a minute, but I'm just curious to hear you talk about just what is Afrofuturism and what are some of the some of the freedoms and that, that the writer has when entering into that, that realm? You know, it's a really hard question to answer because, you know, kind of almost everybody who comes at it has something different in in their approach to it. Um, But, you know, I write black science, I write science fiction and I write about black male heroes. So my, my science fiction has, you know, uh, black, black people in it a lot. And I've written a lot, I think 13 or 14 books now of, of, uh, of black science fiction and, or, you know, alternate fiction, what, you know, depending on what the book is. But, uh, and I, and I, be, and I honestly believe that when, if, to, when you, all writing predicts the future, you know, and science fiction does it a little bit more. So, uh, you look at Jules Verne, he invented the following century, you know, he wrote about things that didn't exist and they did exist, you know, 80 years later. It was like, it was, it was an amazing, an amazing thing. And, and one of the things that, you know, that I know we need to create is we need to see ourselves in the future. 
You know, it, you know, okay, it's fine to have the struggle. It's fine to, you know, about reparations. All, all these things are fine. But one of the most important jobs we have is to see ourselves in the future, to see who we are, who we can be. And, you know, that and that and that's, you know, a lot of, you know, people who, you know, who when they're when they write, they just write about who they are, like if they're Irish or Jewish or this, or that, whatever, you know, and 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 when they look in the future, that's what the, their future looks like to them. But we need to be in that future, you know, and, and we need to, you know, just to, to bust our way into it. You know, I mean, I think there's a lot more um, esoteric and philosophical arguments that I may or may not agree with. But I think the basic thing is. We love science fiction, black people, because it, it gives us a world where we're no longer trapped uh, in, in, in the web of, of racism, you know. I mean, that whole notion is really important and brilliant that we need, it is imperative that we be seen in the future, that we see ourselves in the future. We're still going to be here, right? I think we noticed, I think we all noticed fairly early on, how come start, how come the future is the sci-fi, there's never any black people? <laughs> or there's very few black people. Are they getting rid of us? Or like, do we not exist? And it, I mean, like, it's... it's well, that's what it feels like, yeah. yeah. It's imperative to see us in the future. I mean, you listen, uh, uh, what's the guy who, who did Star Trek? Uh, what is his name? I, I, I was thinking about it earlier today, but I, for, I forgot. But the guy who did Star Trek, he really, you know, he had all uh, blacks, Asians, you know, everybody. And, and he did work about that in, in the future. Uh, the Star Wars, uh, you know, uh, saga. Listen, when you watch the first Star Wars, not only was everybody white that was human, they were blonde haired and blue eyed. You know, <laughs> looking at you going, damn, man, they even going to get rid of the Irish and the Italians. They, got, they're not, they don't want anybody up there. And, you know, and, you know, and it's, it's OK because I don't think it's conscious. I don't think it's a conspiracy. I think they just can't even think outside of uh, of the small, you know, room that they, they exist in. Yeah, you know, that they're trying to. I mean, well, like for some people. There's people and then there's black people women, mm -hmm. gays, Latinos, right? We're like other, right? But mm -hmm. like, you know, the standard is white people, right? And you see this a lot. White people especially yeah. will say something like, everybody thinks, and then they'll say something that is a white opinion and not really mm -hmm. even stop to notice. Like, well, a lot of women would disagree with that or a lot of black people would disagree with that mm -hmm. notion. Um, and... You know, so, I mean, like, yeah, I could see where they'll be like, we want to imagine future people to just transport white people into that. Like, <laughs> we're, we're, not, we're not taking everybody, we're not thinking about the others, right? There, That's too much thought. Um, but no, that's, that shit is incredibly important. Um, you know, Bill Clinton's endorsement of you was really valuable for your career and really... I think a lot, I mean, obviously a lot of us knew who you were before he mentioned yeah. you, but it just puts you on a different plane, right? As far as fame and household name, these sort of things. Did you talk about me? I'm sure by now you've met him and you've, you've talked. Oh, no, I, I, I'm, I've been together with him quite a few times. I, I interviewed him and James Patterson uh, twice for the two books that they wrote together, which was, which was fun to do. Uh, one was at the Schomburg, which I was great. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, I've been to the White House, you know, for dinner when he was president and stuff like that, you know, and, you know, 
That's not like talking to the president when the president's like, yo, I really like your books. Well, you know, I mean, you know, it's funny. Uh, my, my feeling about right. It's no different than if you say to me, I like your books. That's it's my same response, you know, because it's a human being who's reading your books and responding to it. Clinton is very smart and he understands what I'm doing in some ways, even better than I did at that time. I, he was like teaching me stuff that I that that, you know, that he saw in my books. Uh, and so I, you know, I really liked talking to him about them. And, and I thought that it was very good. But, you know, but if I talk to anybody about my books and, and they say that they they like it or even if they don't like it, but they read it, I'm you know, I, I give them the same kind of courtesy. Uh, he's a really smart guy. And he, he really helped me, not only among white people. A lot of black people didn't know who I was. When Bill Clinton said he liked my book, he said, ah, Bill Clinton told me you like your book. I went out and read it. And I went, really? How come you just didn't read it anyway? But. I didn't say that. Um, you know, well, no, it's good that, you know, pe- you know, people like it and people, you know, think that, you know, they like your literature, you know, um, there, there've been some writers who are, I think are really extraordinary writers who, who, uh, think that, you know, have respect for my work. And, and that means a lot to me, you know, because, you know, it's, 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 it's one of my communities. One of my communities is, is of writers. And I think that I, I, I might even like that, uh, more, you know, uh, I mean, for instance, when I did this uh, television show, The Last Days of Ptolemy Gray, you know, 10 years ago, Sam Jackson called me and says, I want to do this as a either a movie or a television show. Okay. Can we work together? And I said, sure. You know, that that kind of commitment that he made to, to doing that, it's just extraordinary. And it took 10 years, even though I had Sam Jackson, you know, you know, arguably, you know, one of the three or four great uh, black male protagonists. You know, I'm not blackmail, male protagonist. Sure. And, um, you know, and, and that 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 kind of support is really uh, that, that's what I find extraordinary. I get the sense some writers go to the computer or the legal pad or whatever. And it's like it's a struggle and it's and they're pulling their hair out and they're balling up pain mm-hmm. and they're like, ah. And, you know, for me, it was never like that and i feel like you can kind of feel mm-hmm. it in the writing that like i enjoy the writing process i feel comfortable doing that and i get the sense that you also enjoy the writing process and because yeah. you enjoy it the work comes out in a certain way and people can feel your joy around writing mm-hmm. I, I think that that that's true you know if anybody said, what's the best part about being a writer? I would say writing, you know, that that's the best part of it. And, you know, there's a lot of other good parts, but that, that to me is like to actually have found something that has meaning in my life. The writing or the, you prefer the writing. So it's a blank page or it's a half a paragraph and you got to, or the editing where you have it, but you got to like tinker with it to make it, better. We, you already said you can't be perfect, but like to get it like better. Well, you know, I, I think that it, I, I would say to anybody that writing is rewriting. Sure. So yes. Yeah. It, it, it's that work, you know, cause you're, you, you, you put it down. I like putting it down, but then after that, you have to go through it again and again and say, Oh, well, no, that doesn't work. Oh, this doesn't work. I was talking with some friends of mine today about a, a screenplay that we're doing and, 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 our logic doesn't work ab- about a, the position that we've put a character in. 
and he's 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 in the certain kind of position, but he's making a decision as if he wasn't in that that uh, position. And you know, and I said it to everybody, and they went, "Oh, yeah, that's true." Okay, so you know, and that's fun. You know, it's fun. I mean, being collaborative, it's less fun than doing it on my own, but yes. uh, it's still, you know, I do love when it's almost done but you got that last 10 or 20% that you got to do and you have a full text, but you got to like read it for the 20th time and find, Oh, that word could be better. That sentence could be moved and it makes it better. That adjective could be removed or changed. And that, and it, and it almost feels like, you know, when you have raw popcorn and you're like looking, looking and you're, you're looking is like heat and like, Oh, the text is getting better because I mean the number yeah. of times you look at it is equal will will make it better in, inevitably. If you look at it 20 times it will be better than if you only looked at it 5 times. It's true, but the other thing that I was saying before which I think is also true, there's one word and you say this is not exactly the right word. Where is a better word? Sometimes you find it and sometimes you don't. And when you don't find it, when it's it's not there, you say, okay, let me let me just let this go for the moment, you know, because sooner or later you're going to work it out. But it might be two books from now, you know, or or two you know written pieces from now, you know. That's the other thing, you know. It, once once I accept my life as a writer, I write I write books. This, this is not you know, the book is not a book; it's an opus, you know. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm I'm just I'm 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 going to keep on putting them out there. I'm going to keep on. Uh, uh, you know, uh, thinking about them. So I, I have, I have the, the time, uh, you know, to, to, to change, to, to consider. What do you not like about the world about writing? Well, there's nothing I don't, I, you know, I, I, I left New York, not left. What happened? John Singleton called me, says, you want to be, you know, you know, work on snowfall and, and I said, I don't know how to write for television. He said, that's okay. Just come in the room and bag me up. That's all you need to do. And I said, okay, I can do that. And so, you know, and, 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 I, and I went to L.A. And I realized <laughs> that I had started to have a problem in New, in New York with the literary community. You know, you, you, people come up to you and they say, oh, the great writers, uh, Shakespeare and, and, you know, Dostoevsky and, and Gogol. You know, and they're writing, talking about all these people. And they are great writers. But the thing is, when they were great writers, they were popular writers. You know, Melville was writing uh, high sea adventures. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Dickens was writing melodramas. Uh, Mark Twain is writing comedy. You know, I mean, and it is just because all f- good good fiction is popular fiction. And once you let the university in, the university is going to be talking all about all about the technique and the and the, and the lines and 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 the the use uh, you know of character and all that you know stuff you know some of which is good, mm-hmm. much of which is bad. And I don't I don't want the university to tell me what people are reading. You know I I don't. I mean, listen, Dostoevsky was great, but he tried to write one of those books today. Nobody's going to publish it. You know, this is a a different world, you know, and, um, you know, I mean, that's how I feel about it. I feel I feel that we're. um, That. I I, I kind of lost uh, interest in the literary community, you know, uh, in as far as that literary community is a a part of the university, is, is an out 
cropping of the university. And, um, you know, which is great being a mystery writer. I mean, it's not the only thing I am, but, you know, when, I, when I'm together with mystery people, you know, they're trying to tell stories that people want to buy. And that, that's great. That's what Mark Twain did. That's what Charles Dickens did. That, that's what, Ju- what uh, William Shakespeare did. You know, he's like, I'm putting it out there because, you know, I love doing it and I get to, you know, pay my rent with it. You know, (laughs) what is your superpower? The thing you do better than other people that has led to your success? I don't necessarily do what's expected of me. I think, I think that's always been, you know, I, I, just, I don't, I always tell people, I say, the hardest uh, problem of, you know, of a writer who, you know, a potential writer, one wants to be a writer, is a student who got straight A's. Because straight A's, you know, it doesn't really mean anything, you know. It, it's just you getting 100% on every test. I got 100%, 100%, 100%. As I've said before, a, a novel might only be 84% of what, what you, what you wanted to do, but it could be good enough. Uh, and, and so I, but, so I think that, but you know, my ability to, you know, to, to, to not do what's expected of me and not, and not go to the, those places, you know, I mean, I, there are a lot of other people who had that power better than I did. And Mary Baraka, for instance, you know, Mary mm-hmm. Baraka is out there. He said, I'm definitely going to do something different than you're saying. I don't definitely do. I, I try to. <laughs> Brother, I really appreciate your time. Is there anything else that you want to tell a younger writer who wants to be like you when he or she grows up or they grow up? Hmm. Well, there are a few things that, that, that I would say. Uh, and, and more things I would say than you know we'd, we'd ever have time for. But um, one thing, of course, I think is at least to experiment with writing every day. I tell people, I say, look, just write on this thing every day for the next hundred days. At the end of that time, look at what you've written and see where you want it to go. You know, so that's the first thing. I, I wrote a book called This Year You Write Your Novel. And for anybody who's just beginning, I would I'd suggest they take a look at it. I don't suggest they buy it. They can get it at the library. Go to the library and ask for it. The, if library, the library will buy it. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to sell books here. I'm trying to say I, I wrote that book and I think it, it, it can help. It can help because I talk about writing, you know, simply, you know, w- without affect and uh, it, that, you know, no matter who you are, no matter what kind of book you're trying to write, this this is going to help you. It's, it, it has nothing of the university in it. And it, it, everything about, I want to tell a story that other people are going to enjoy listening. I mean, ultimately, this story is, here's a character. I mean, this is probably why I try to teach my kids. Here's a character. They want something. And mm-hmm. there's a that, that the audience understands why they want it and will do pretty much anything to get it. And it is meaningful. And here's the hurdle. Here's the person or mm-hmm. preventing them from getting it. That, that once you have those elements, now we're moving toward a story. Anything else is like an anecdote. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. And at times you'll say, 
they think they uh, the, the the reader thinks they know what the what the character wants, and at some time they're fooled by the 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 act react, actions or reactions of the character. But you know, there's all that stuff, you know. But it's all human, you know. It's like dating, you know. <laughs> it's like you you have certain expectations, but you know, then something else happens, you know, and you go, oh, okay, huh, all right, you know, and you know, either you're going to go with it or you're not. And, you know, I just, you know, yeah, no, it's true. And it's just fun. It's a, it's life. Writing is life. It sure is. In an idealized form. Yeah, it sure is. And for us, for black people to tell stories about uh, what it is to live in America, you know, what it is to, to live here and to have those stories go everywhere, you know, uh, everywhere that anybody else can think of, you know, it's really, it's really kind of fun. It's like, it, it's empowering. Thanks so much for a great interview, and thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and maybe this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jennifer Brown. Our editor is Ryan Woodhull. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington and Nick Carp. Our booker is Claudia Jean, and we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick... Let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.